Coming to you from Jonesboro, Tennessee at the International Storytelling Center, we'd like to welcome you to Storytown Radio, Jonesboro's original storytelling radio show. I'm your host, Katie Rosalowski. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie Murphy. I tell you, Katie, I love every time I get to come and be a part of this show. I wish I could do it more often, but my son's sports schedule, it really keeps me hopping. Well, how many sports does your son play? Well, a better question is, what does he not play? AJ plays baseball, basketball, soccer. He's wrestled, he runs cross country. Sometimes I never want to see a ball court or field in my life. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, Stephanie, but tonight's show is all about fair play. Oh, no. In sports. Of course. But also in life. Fair play in sports and in life? I can handle that. How very sporting of you. <laughs> ha, ha. Tonight's show is also the perfect opportunity to celebrate Black History Month and to share stories from the African-American community that showcase fair play both on and off the court. These are real stories from real people, and some of our storytellers are here in the audience with us tonight. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge a few of our sponsors for this season. We would like to thank the Tennessee Arts Commission for their generous support of our program. We'd also like to thank the Wild Women of Jonesboro. There are a lot of wild women. <laughs> Enough to start a baseball team? Oh, we could get jerseys! Well, I'd also like to thank Nancy Hope and Odie Major for sponsoring the program. And finally, we'd like to thank Main Street Cafe and Catering for sponsoring us this season. Hey, Katie and Stephanie, I have an example of fair play in sports. Oh, what's that, Perry? When the two teams shake hands after the game, no matter who wins or loses. That's a great example of fair play. My son's team does that after every game. Or when a skier, Anton Gafrov, broke his ski during the 2014 Winter Olympics, and a member of the Canadian team gave him an extra ski. And then Gafrov finished second in the quarterfinals. That is a very specific example, and it's a good one. I have an example of fail play in life. Oh, go ahead, Eden. Not denying someone's equal pay because of their gender and not denying them a housing loan because of their skin. Those are excellent examples. What about not punishing people for being left-handed? No one does that. Oh, oh they, they used to. to. That doesn't sound very fair. It, it wasn't. wasn't. My first grade teacher, Miss Muckenfoos, was best described in a word no first grader knew how to spell, but we all came to understand. Quick, spell regimented. Uh, R G E. Uh, next, spell regimented. R E G I M I. Wrong. Spell regimented. Wrong. R E G I M E N T E D. Regimented. She was regimented. All good students will learn two things in my class, how to spell and how to write with the correct hand, the right hand. 
My right-handed block print was as undecipherable as a cursive code, and my scrawl to this day would make a doctor proud. I dreamed of my escape from first grade to be in class with the perfect second grade teacher, Mrs. Robbins, who came to class as a different character from books or history every day. Class, do you know who I'm dressed up as today? I'm Mary Poppins, and we're going to learn all about her great adventures. Mrs. Robbins already knew my name. Hello, Wally. But alas, only my brother, two years later, would score Mrs. Robbins as a second grade teacher. Seven years later, entering junior high, it seemed all would be made right. Oh, Mrs. Robbins was going to be my American history and civics teacher because she was done keeping up with the second graders. Oh, Wally, I remember you and your brother Gary from elementary. I'm so glad you're going to be my student. I was in heaven. My first grade crush was happening. Class, before we get started, I need to tell you about my bump. It's a baby bump. And he's going to grow along with you this term. That news went right in one ear and out the other. I was going to survive seventh grade and even P.E. for non-athlete boys. <laughs> because I had 90 minutes with Mrs. Robbins first. <laughs> okay, everyone listen up. It's time for your president's physical fitness evaluation. Maybe I wasn't going to survive P.E. Few words strike such dread in the heart of a child as... physical fitness evaluation. First station is pull-ups. Work your way down, and after the last station, the athletes will lead you on the one-half-mile run back to the school. I had coach for math, and he was the assistant principal, too. I liked him, but not disappointing him was going to be hard. I avoided exercise. Unlike a few other non-athletes, I managed a critical single pull-up. Not the 10 required, but the run was the second most humiliating moment and the fastest half mile of my life. You see the athletes arranged for us to run up a busy street sans clothes. But the worst was yet to come, because the next day... I'm Mrs. Muckenfoos. Some of you know me, and all of you should know, I will be filling in for Mrs. Robbins, who is out on leave. <laughs> I have restructured Monday's civics exam to be more appropriate for good students. Monday, I was sick, but <laughs> Mom sent me to take the test. Now, Wally, Mrs. Robbins has you well prepared. In my test, instead of multiple guests, you'll have 40 minutes for 60 short answer questions with a sentence. Good students answer quickly. I looked at the test, answered a couple, laid my head on the desk, and tried to die. Seconds later, Mrs. Muckenfoos snatched my paper and the paper of the boy behind me. Don't tell me you weren't cheating, letting Bobby copy off of you. 
I remained silent all the way to the coach in the principal's office. Sure, I was headed to meet his board of education. <laughs> Wrong. Hmm. It is mathematically impossible that Bobby cheated off of your two answers. <laughs> he got 10 right. Go to PE, Wally. I'll handle this. Seconds later, I was the lefty at bat. I saw Mrs. Muckinpoose's face on the ball, and I drove it over the fence for my only home run ever. <laughs> After the victory lap, I saw Mom arriving and went back to the office to apologize, as Mom required, to Mrs. Muckinpoose for cheating. Tell the teacher you are sorry and why. I'm sorry, Mrs. Muckinfoos. I wanted to tell you I couldn't cheat, but you told me not to. He's right. There's no mathematical correlation between his and Bobby's answers. Mrs. Muckinfoos, what do you mean? You told Wally not to? She said, don't tell me you weren't cheating. <laughs> Is that true, Mrs. Muckinfoos? I was immediately sent to the chair outside the door, which closed behind me. Mom was loud, and this is all I heard. Then the conversation went quiet. The door opened. Mrs. Muckinfoos exited, giving me the eye. Thank you, Mrs. Sheely. Wally can go home now, but here are four tickets to the athletic banquet. And I expect to see his whole family here tonight. Well, thank you, Coach. We appreciate all you've done for Wally. It will be good experience for him to see the athlete's accomplishments. Hours later, I was in for the shock of my life. We ate rubber chicken as Coach presented athletic awards. The first award tonight goes to the most improved athlete. Now, some of you were disqualified since division by zero is impossible. <clears throat> but tonight's winner, he improved 1,000% in pull-ups. He had the fastest non-athlete run, and <laughs> he scored a home run. Wally, come get your trophy. All my new athlete friends cheered. I was speechless. The next week or so, we had a history slash civics substitute who took role and showed movies. <laughs> I never saw Mrs. Muckinfoos again. The biggest prize came when Mrs. Robbins returned with her baby boy. The rest of the term was perfect with Mrs. Robbins and Coach looking after their official star, Lefty Student. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Wallace. Seems like everything worked out for the Lefty in the end. Now we'd like to take a trip right down the road to Irwin, Tennessee. My name is Dorothy Mathis, and my family lived in Irwin in the 1940s. At the time, we were the only black family living in Irwin. My dad was a cook on a train, and everybody talked bad about Irwin. But my family did wonderful in Irwin. 
Coach gave us a choice when it came to Irwin. We all played football for Jonesboro, and he told us when the game in Irwin was coming up. He brought all of us out in the hallway and explained to us, you know how things exist over in Irwin. That's up to you. All of you want to go? If you want to go over there to play ball. So we all said, no, we just won't go. You know, we, we won't chance it. That's the way it was. That's the way it was in the 1960s. Irwin was, you know, there were no blacks there, but there were a couple of blacks who lived in Irwin, people who worked for the railroad. But we didn't want to take a chance on it either, and neither did the football coach. We don't know what would have happened, what would have been said. I read an article from the old Johnson City Press that goes back to, I think, 1925 or 1930. That was a black person lynched over in Irwin because he said not say hello to a white person. In 1918, Tom Devert was murdered in Irwin. No one living remembers the true story, and the newspapers of the time were extremely prejudiced. Tom had been a long-time resident of Irwin. On the day of his murder, Tom was clearly scared of someone. In his fright, he had an altercation with 15-year-old Georgia Collins by the Nolanchucky River. A group of white men, who were probably after Tom, came upon them, and Tom pulled Georgia into the river with him. The two of them were shot, but only one was hit by accident. The shot killed Georgia, but Tom Devert was still alive. Tom was pulled from the river and dragged into town. The same group of men rounded up all the African Americans living in Irwin and forced them to watch as they killed Tom Devert. They were then told they had until tomorrow night to pack their things and leave Irwin, or the same thing would happen to them. I know people today who still won't go to Irwin. Irwin has got a bad name for black people, but I'm black and I lived it. My two brothers stayed over there. They were never in any trouble. They never had any fights. They were treated well. We all were treated well. Before we moved to Irwin, we lived in Jonesboro. I went to the Jonesboro Colored School, also known as the School on the Rocks. After that, we moved to Johnson City, and I went to Douglas School, and then Langston High. I was going to Langston when we moved to Irwin. I have to tell you, in Jonesboro and Johnson City, if we went to the local drugstore, we couldn't sit at the counters with everyone else. But in Irwin, me and my brothers sat right at that drugstore counter and drank our milkshakes just like everyone else. But there were no schools for African Americans in Irwin. We had to take the bus all the way to Johnson City. It was over 20 miles one way. That's a long trip to and from school every day. But the town of Irwin paid for our transportation. My family didn't have to pay a dime. People ask me about that a lot, how it made me feel to ride that bus every day, because where I lived didn't have a segregated school. At the time, it was all I knew. But I'm very glad that my children did not have to go through that, or that my grandchildren had to go through that. I wouldn't put up with it today, and I wouldn't expect my children to put up with it either. At the bus station, me and my brothers, we had to board the bus at the side terminal, which was much smaller than the big terminal. I didn't like that at all. 
And I also didn't like sitting in the back of the bus. So one day, I didn't. The bus driver knew us. He knew our family, so he didn't say anything. I know that wasn't everyone's story, but it was mine. I say the hardest part of living in Irwin was actually my brothers. <laughs> they were always giving me a hard time. Hey, brother, I think the cat's cold. I believe he does, too. What say we warm him up a little in the coal stove? I think that'd be mighty generous of us. Mama, have you seen the cat? <laughs> Kitty, why are you up in the stove? You could have burnt up. I hope the poor cat was okay. He was. The stove wasn't on. <laughs> the cat made it out a lot better than my doll. That story starts with my brother's preaching. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. Just you wait. Dear Lord, we gather together here today to say farewell to Dolly. Amen. So she lived her life, Lord. She just couldn't take the heat of the furnace. Amen. What are you two doing up here on this hill? You holding church? We're having a burial. A burial? For who? Is that my doll? She's ready to pass on to the next life. Uh, how did her legs get burnt? We put her on the furnace. Uh, uh, uh. I, I, I know that it took. We better get out of here right now, brother. If I catch you two, you'll be the ones going in the ground. That poor sweet doll. Whatever happened to her? I still have her. I still love her. And I still love my brothers, too. And I love the people of Irwin. We all grow up. And as we grow, we learn the ways we behaved in the past weren't always right we realized that we weren't treating everybody justly or fairly. And when we realize that, we do our best to make amends. Thank you, Stephanie, for sharing Dorothy Mathis's story with us. We have some more stories about fair play in life and in sports. And in court games. Well, well, yes, Eden. I believe fair play extends to card games. I think so, too. My friends are always making up house rules when we ever play this one game. Okay, let me guess. Is it the game where the goal is to run out of cards first? Yeah. Oh, I hate that game. Well, I used to love it, but then you go somewhere to play, and they don't tell you the house rules up front. They don't tell you you can keep stacking draw twos and draw fours until you're stuck with 20 cards in your hand and no end in sight. Let it all out, sister. Whoa, I was just talking about... Mm. Don't, don't even say it. I can't bear to hear its name anymore. One. We'll just say Spanish for one. I've lost so many friendships over that game. I understand. And it's illegal, you know, in the official rule book to keep stacking cards like that. I know. But didn't you ladies know the house always wins? We're not talking about Las Vegas. We're talking about the Jonesboro Senior Center. <laughs> um, guys, it's just a game. Thank you for reminding us of that, Eden. We will try to remember that. 
wasn't much for sports, even though I was tall for my age. I didn't play basketball, I didn't play softball. I only tried out for cheerleading because my mother wanted me to. Sports were just not my interest. I have plenty of trophies, but they were for drama and for scholastics and everything. I don't have a single sports-related trophy, but I feel like I should have gotten a trophy for the epic game of hide-and-seek. An epic game of hide-and-seek? I played that game so well, I got in trouble. People thought I was dead. <laughs> it all started at a church lock-in. Wait. You didn't play a particular card game at that lock-in, did you? Not that I recall. Okay, then proceed. It was an ordinary middle school church lock-in. It wasn't my church, but these were my friends. One of them had invited me. It was co-ed sleepover, my very first one. We'd already had dinner, watched some movies, and played on the foosball table. The grown-ups had left us to our own devices. We were good kids after all. We pretty much had the run of the church, and it was a big church. The question became, what did we want to do next? It wasn't even 10 yet, and we weren't supposed to go to the movie theater to see Star Wars till midnight. Hey, why don't we play hide and seek? That sounded like a great idea. We quickly decided who'd be it and who'd go and hide. I was one of the hiders, and as the seekers counted down, I scurried off to the gym. Everyone had scattered in different directions, and I didn't have a chance to ask my friends where they were going. The gym was dark, and there was a large tarp at the back of it. I decided to hide under the tarp, but it was hot under there, and I felt like it was a pretty obvious place to hide. Three, two, one, ready or not, here I come. Just then, I heard a noise to my left. It was Virginia, and she was hanging out up in the cupboard of all things. Psst, Anne, come over here and hide with me. You're too obvious out there in the open. Virginia and I were not close. We moved in different social circles, but she was right. I was too obvious, so I ditched the tarp and crawled into the cupboard. There was a time in my life that I was flexible enough that I could fold myself up into a cupboard and get down between the shelves. Those days have passed. <laughs> Virginia, it's so very nice of you to share our hiding spot. Just stay quiet. You were going to give me a way out there. I don't want you to give me a way in here. We didn't talk anymore, <laughs> which was probably for the best. We heard people coming into the gym, looking around, we saw the lights go on, we saw the lights go out, but never once did anyone open up the cupboard. Maybe because they didn't think it was possible for someone to squeeze in them, the lights went back off in the gym, and it was so quiet, and the cupboard was so nice and warm, we fell asleep. Anne, wake up. I think we fell asleep. Uh, what time is it? I don't know. Why don't you sneak out and look? I did as I was instructed. I needed to stretch my legs anyhow. I pulled myself out of the cupboard, and what did I hear? Ollie, ollie, oxen free! Ollie, ollie, oxen free! Virginia, come out. I think we won. I ran into the hallway all triumphant, ready to celebrate our victory. Where were you all? 
We thought you were dead. Uh, we were right up in the cabinets in the gym. How'd you fit in there? It took some effort. We've been calling Ollie Ollie for 30 minutes. Didn't you hear us? Um, we fell asleep. Rule is you come out at Ollie Ollie. We thought you'd wandered into the old part of the church and fallen through the floors. And it was true. The old part of the church was off limits due to a less than secure floor from the 1800s. We thought you were dead. Well, surprise, we're not. You almost made us miss Star Wars. Well, at least we still have time for that. Whose idea was it to hide in there in the first place? It was Anne's idea. I tried to tell her not to. I wanted to hide under the tarp. <laughs> I learned a valuable lesson that day, that even when you win, you still lose sometimes. It all depends on the company you're keeping when you win. My son is really into soccer right now, and I'm trying to teach him sportsmanship and how important it is. But I'm also a very competitive person, so it's hard sometimes. Mom, stop cheating. I'm not cheating. You can't pick me up. I wanted a goal. You were in my way. Problem solved. Mom. Come on, kick off. Mom. Come, come on. Okay, but no more cheating. I'm not cheating, but okay. No, no, no! Yes, 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 goal! Hey, you can't do that. Sure I can. Mom, you can't spank me just because I got a goal. Evidently I can. Hey, no spanking. Yellow card, yellow Wait, card. what'd you say, yellow card? You're not talking about that card game, are you? No, yellow card means caution. It's used to warn players when they're doing something wrong. Okay, carry on. <laughs> yellow card. I'll tell you what. I have a friend who coaches for the Youth Football Association. I'll just call him. Hello? Hey, quick question. My son and I have a soccer dispute. All right. What is it? Spanking isn't a yellow card offense, right? I mean, technically, I'm his mom, so I have every right to spank him if I want to. Yeah, I'm thinking yellow card. But I'm his mom. Yellow card. Ask him about picking me up. <gasps> he also wants to know about me picking him up and moving him out of the goal. Yeah, yellow card. What? But I'm bigger and I, I wanted the goal. Yellow card. Sounds like your second one. Careful or you'll be on your way to a red card and out of the game. <gasps> Yeah, I'm starting to think you don't know as much as I thought you did. <laughs> told, told you, Mom. Oh, come on. Let's play. No cheating. I do not cheat. No, no, no. There's no tickling in soccer. House rules, son. Red card, red card. Mama, you've really got to learn the rules of soccer. Oh, I don't know. I kind of like my way of doing it. Ice cream? Oh, those pesky house rules, they'll get you every time. Tell me about it. <laughs> Continuing on with the show, next up we have a look at a piece of Jonesboro history that folks might walk by every day without realizing 
what they're looking at. George Dukes, he was a man. He knew just what to do with clay and wood. That's what everybody said about it. It was Jonesboro in the 1970s and things were changing fast. Buildings were being preserved. The historic system was being established. Zoning laws were coming into place. The Jonesboro Civic Trust had been formed to help fund the preservation movement and bring people back into downtown for events. George Dukes was a key player in the Civic Trust and he even served as a chairman for a while. I remember George Dukes. He drew these beautiful pen and ink drawings of the buildings downtown. When he sold them, the, mon the drawings, the money went right back into the building preservation. He also built the gazebo at Mill Spring Park and the pavilion at Persimmon Ridge Park. Those are lasting pieces of his legacy still visible today. I know many people who've gotten married in the gazebo. I remember he made this amazing bust of George Washington that hung above the old George Washington savings and loans for years. When the new visitor center was built in the 1980s, George Dukes was hired to create a sculpture for the side of the building that faced Boone Street. The sculpture would be the first thing that visitors saw as they drove into town. The idea, according to then Mayor Jimmy Neal Smith, was to celebrate the town's commitment to community and art. Dukes had planned to create nine life-size sculptures. Each set of three would showcase different faces whose hard work and sense of community helped to build Jonesboro. Sadly, George Dukes passed away in 1993. At the time of his death, only one part of the sculpture had been finished. The partial sculpture hung on the visitor's center as intended, but it was eventually taken down for the creation of Veterans Park and Memorial. A few years ago, the sculpture was returned to the visitor center. It featured three African Americans in various poses. George Dukes never said who those three figures were based on. They could have been based on Buffalo Soldier Alfred Martin Ray, who proudly served his country for 30 years. They could have been based on John Ray, Alfred's twin brother. He was a brick mason and he helped to construct the Washington County Courthouse that stands today. They could have been based on nurse Ella Russell. She was in town in the early 1900s, and at that time, she was the only hospital-trained nurse working in the area. They could have been based on James Cousins and James A. Bailey, who were the first African Americans to run for office in Jonesboro in 1874. The figures in the statues could have been based on a lot of people, but I've heard one of them was based on someone not connected to Jonesboro at all. One of them may have been based on a professional baseball player, Kurt Flood. Kurt Flood? Do tell. Kurt Flood was an all-star center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. In 1969, he was told he'd be traded to the Philadelphia Phillies. But Kurt did something no other ball player had done before. He said, no. He said, I do not feel I am a piece of property to be bought and sold irrespective of my wishes. He refused to be traded, and he took his case all the way to the Supreme Court. Kurt ultimately lost the case, but his fight inspired other players, both black and white, to come together and stand up 
against the reserve clause. What's the reserve clause? In baseball, the reserve clause was part of a player's contract which stated the rights to players were to retain by the team. Players under these contracts were not free to enter into another contract with another team. Once signed to a contract, players could, at the team's whim, be reassigned, traded, sold, or released. That doesn't sound fair. It wasn't. And thanks to the efforts of Kurt Flood and other players, it was overturned in 1975 and replaced with free agency. That sounds a lot better. So whether they were inspired by local heroes, a baseball all-star, or one of George Duke's friends, there's a lot of history behind the statues at the visitor center. Take a closer look next time you walk by. I remember Kurt Flood. Of course, when I was younger, it was Jackie Robinson and Hank Aaron. Baseball wasn't my sport of choice, but I cheered them on. Now basketball. Basketball was my sport. Mine too, but it wasn't always easy to play. Half the time we didn't have a court. The other half we didn't have a ball. <laughs> but we managed. We'd pool our money together, go buy a ball at the hardware store. You remember that old school in Rockwood? We used to play at, the one with the pot-bellied stove in the middle of the gym floor. That was some serious interference. We, we also used to sneak into Booker T through the broken window and play pickup games. Those were the best. Of course, we had to be quiet. Watch out for the broken glass on the window there. Ah, oh, my shirt got snagged. Shh. You want to give us away? Hey, whose turn was it to bring the ball? Got a new one right here from the hardware store. Hey, what, what game are we playing? What are we playing to? How about horse? I think we're a little old for horse. What about knockout? Let's play the first team to 33 and then see how close to supper time it is. Hey, that sounds like a deal. Hey, where, where'd you learn to move your feet like that? Dancing with a pot-bellied stove. <laughs> and that's it. 33. Game. Hey, man, look at the time. We better get home. Us too. Hey, can we see you after school tomorrow? We'll be here, and if we're not, then we're in trouble. I wish we could all play together on that same team at school. This doesn't seem fair we have to sneak around like this. It's not fair, but maybe we'll get there someday. Yeah, really? I, I believe we will someday. Yes, I do. Yes, someday. Someday, we welcome you. We honor your achievements, your hard-fought battles, but we also recognize we still have a ways to go. But we keep pushing for you someday. So whether you're playing on a court, on the field, at a neighbor's house, or just living your everyday life, we hope our stories have encouraged you to treat one another with kindness, dignity, and fairness. You know, Stephanie, I've heard it said that life's a game. So the sporting thing to do is to treat every one of our teammates with respect. Good game, Stephanie. Good game, Katie. And good game to all of you. Our castmates, our listening audience, we'd like to thank you, we five, for singing for us this evening. 
and of course our sponsors, the Tennessee Arts Commission, those wild women of Jonesboro, Nancy Hope and Odie Major, and Main Street Cafe and Catering. Be sure to tune in the last Wednesday at 8 p.m. on 89.5 WETS-FM to hear our program. Or listen online to WETS.org on HD Channel 1. Good night, everyone. Good game. <laughs> <laughs>